0: Hello, my name is Cindy Burnett, and I am the host of the Thoughts From a Page podcast, which is now a member of the Evergreen Podcasts Network. Each episode, I interview authors about their latest works. For more book recommendations, check out my earlier episodes and my website, thoughtsfromapage.com, and follow me on Facebook and Instagram at Thoughts From a Page. While it is always free to listen to my podcast, I do incur a lot of costs and have set up a PayPal link on my site for anyone who is willing and able to help contribute to the podcast, and the link is in my show notes. I am so grateful for your support and have commissioned a bookmark that I will send out to anyone who donates more than $10. Thank you so much in advance. Today, I am interviewing Elizabeth Barnhill. Elizabeth is the adult book buyer for the independent bookstore in Waco, Texas called Fabled Bookshop and Cafe. She graduated from Baylor University and worked for 20 years as a speech pathologist before turning her lifelong passion of reading and books into her dream job when Fabled opened in 2019. Elizabeth spends her days reading as many upcoming releases as possible and hosting events at Fabled. You can find her on Bookstagram at Waco Reads. After this interview, my daughter Emily and I went to Waco to visit Fabled. I walked the shelves of the bookstore with Elizabeth and found some great titles to add to my ever-growing stack of books to read. Elizabeth is also going to join me periodically on the show to talk books, which I'm super excited about. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Welcome, Elizabeth. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me
1: on your wonderful podcast.
0: Well, I'm so excited that you're here. I've heard the best things about the Fabled Bookshop and Cafe in Waco, and I thought it might be fun to talk to a bookseller this time instead of an author. So I really appreciate your agreeing to come on. I'm honored to be here. Thank you. Well, why don't we start out with you telling me a little bit about Fabled Bookshop and Cafe?
1: All right. We are a local independent bookstore in downtown Waco, Texas. We are, I guess, about two blocks away from the Magnolia Silos. So we do have a lot of -of out-of-town people who are uh, Chip and Joanna Gaines fans. And we are run by two wonderful women, Allison Frenzel and Kimberly Batson, both of them have English degrees and their other interests really have made a fabulous bookstore experience. One of them is a small business owner and the other one has a degree, well, the English degree, but also a background in marketing and photography. All of our beautiful photographs on social media are the ones Allison has taken. And we opened up in August of 2019 And so we have now been open longer during the pandemic than before the pandemic. We just feel um, like we're so, so blessed because about two days after we were forced to shut down, was when we had planned our online shop. So that launched right when our in-store guests could no longer come into the store, which was such a blessing. And our owners kind of had this idea to do indoorsy boxes. So we actually would get ideas of what people wanted and pick books out for them. And we kind of ran it almost like a meals on wheels service around town, bringing books to people's doors and also all over the country. So we were hoping to do several hundred boxes and did nearly 2,000 boxes when it was all said and done. So we just are so thankful to our community, you know, again, locally and throughout the entire country who wanted to make sure we would stay open. And and we are and are not just surviving,
0: but we're really thriving. 2,000 boxes. That's amazing. (laughs) Yes. That was a lot of of books. (laughs) You're like, it's amazing. And it was a lot of work. But that's fabulous because, you know, I work at Murder by the Book in non-pandemic times part-time and I just always understood how important it was to buy at independent bookstores. But once I started working at one, I really understood, you know, you want those places to stay in business and that's my favorite thing to do when we travel is to go into the local independent bookstore and just hear what they have to say there and learn about local writers, but also just what they're currently recommending. So you don't want to lose that. And it's wonderful that there are stores opening and able to stay open in this kind of environment.
1: Absolutely. And I think people know these days, I mean, I think through social media, all of our favorite small small businesses, not just bookstores, really reached out to the public and said, if you want us to be around next year, you know, you need to please support us don't just buy everything you know through big box stores or, or whatever and i do think people have rallied because everyone loves their their own small businesses in their towns and but no i'm the same way i i have been an independent bookstore fanatic for as long as i can remember and even before fabled open i would call my favorite independent bookstores around the country and buy my books that way because i know those booksellers know me and they know they're looking out for the, the books that they know that I would love. And I I have really enjoyed doing that with my own customers. I'll read a book and instantly I'm I'm text messaging or emailing uh, my customers. You need to read this book. It it is matches uh, perfectly with your with your taste. You just don't get that on Amazon or, or other or other stores. So I'm thankful for the public who who seems to really get that.
0: I agree. And I think that the messaging has gotten a lot stronger in probably even the last decade, but the last five years about how important it is on the book front and the difference the personalized attention makes. And I feel like that's why a lot of these bookstores are doing well is because people understand that and they love the service you're describing.
1: Well, and I also appreciate authors. I think authors know the importance of independent bookstores. And during these times, we have been doing a lot of book clubs and every author I have reached out to, to join us for, for a book event. They say, absolutely. You know, they, they want to support us as well because I, it's sort of a symbiotic relationship. <laughs> we try to scratch each other's backs. But yeah, I, I'm appreciative of, of authors as well who want us, want us to stay in business.
0: Well, I think they get it. So say you really like Kristen Hanna's books and she has The Four Winds coming out this year. It's in her best interest to come and talk to you all and talk to your crowd because she knows you'll then be hand-selling it to every single person you know versus an algorithm on Amazon just hoping her book pops up.
1: Mm -hmm. Right. And uh, we've sold a lot of her books, The Four Winds. And what I'll say is, oh, if you really loved The Four Winds, uh, that's a, a fabulous fiction. Why don't you read the narrative nonfiction, The Worst Hard Time by Timothy Egan? That's the actual story, the nonfiction story of of The Dust Bowl, and it gives you even a deeper understanding and appreciation for Kristen Hanna's book.
0: I like that. You can sort of just flow out from one book, and by the time you're done, you've suggested and sold 10 books.
1: Right. (laughs) The nature of the business. (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) Well, how
0: did you get started working at Fabled?
1: Uh, This is a really funny story. I'm a speech pathologist. I have no training in the literary world other than just being a lifelong reader. And I, again, have always loved independent bookstores and you know, would beg my husband to one, one day retire in a town that had an independent bookstore. And you know, right when podcasting kind of started, I, I started listening to The Modern Mrs. Darcy. And one day she had a guest on her show named Allison Frenzel, who talked about wanting to open an independent bookstore in Waco, Texas. And my jaw nearly hit the floor. I thought, oh my goodness, this my dream has come true. So you know how it is in a small town, you know, it's three degrees of separation. I I quickly found Allison and texted her and said, I know you don't know me, but can we go to lunch? I just want to talk to you about your dream. And so we developed a, a wonderful friendship, just talking about her dream and talking about books and as you know, one it it takes quite a long time to start up a bookstore. So this was maybe even two years before the bookstore actually opened. And, you know, we kind of talked about, wouldn't it be fun if I could work there? You know, I I think I would really enjoy that. How how could that work, you know, with a busy life with teenagers and, and whatnot? And one day, she texted me and said, would you like the job of buying the adult books for Fabled. And I got tears in my eyes and goosebumps and thought, this is what I need to do. And so it's just been a wild ride for, I guess, the last two years learning a brand new industry, getting into retail. You know, I'm in the medical environment typically. And I have just loved nearly every single minute of it. So
0: <laughs> I love the nearly,
1: <laughs> <laughs> nearly, mostly ninety nine percent.
0: Well, that is a truly a great story, and what you know, what a great foundation creation story. I love that.
1: Yep, it's it was a serendipitous listening to of a podcast for sure.
0: Well, I know every indie bookstore is structured differently and staffed differently. So, tell me exactly what your job entails.
1: Mm, well, one of the. The biggest jobs I have is, you know, I've developed relationships with all of my publisher reps. And so several times a year, we get together and they pitch all of their books coming out in the next quarter. Most of them are are about three times a year we meet. And I just make out my very large list of books that sound interesting that I think maybe would be a good fit for our store. and. So after I write this, make this long list of books I want to read, I start voraciously reading them just to make sure that the ones that are highly touted, are, are they really as, as good as the hype or trying to find the diamond in the rough that, that no one is talking about, which is my personal favorite kind of thing to do. So I, I read a book and then I decide, okay, I think this will be a good fit for our store. How many books do I th- think I can sell? How many can we sell as a company? And, you know, when we, that was one of the biggest challenges at first was, you know, I don't know how many of, you know, whatever book it is, do I think we can sell for the store? And at first I was very tentative. I Oh, I think let's just try four or five. And
0: now there's books I'm reading. I'm like, let's get 30. I promise I can sell them. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, and it takes a little while to figure that out, you know, That's especially it. because you hadn't been in the business. But even if you had any new store your location sounds like that really helps you get a lot of foot traffic. Sometimes places don't have as much of that. I mean there's so many variables.
1: Mhm. There are and and really we just we're trying to figure out our community, what what do Wacoans want to read and or what do Texans want to read or parents of Baylor students, you know we have lots of them coming in the store. And I think we're getting pretty good at it. We found, you know, the ones that that we have read and just really loved, we can sell them like crazy. And so it's fun to kind of challenge ourselves. Let's buy a bunch of these. We're going to sell them. So, after we find these books we love, we write shelf talkers. And I think that's another thing that makes independent bookstores so unique and wonderful and fun are reading what the booksellers have loved. And I, f- I find anytime I write a shelf talker on a book, almost immediately they sell. People are interested in, in what we have to say. So that's a a fun part of the job. Also with our owners and managers, we brainstorm about interesting displays in the front. We have two long tables in the front of the shop, and it's fun kind of coming up with, could be Black History Month, it could be now it's March, so we're doing all gardening books. Last month, we did a, a display of all the books in the store that featured
0: Women's backs. Call me. Oh. <laughs> we got your backs. So. That must have been very full.
1: <laughs> yeah, I had no trouble finding those books. I you know, finding books to, to go on those displays. I, I help educate the staff. You know, we have a lot of Baylor students, and they're all wonderful and eager learners. So let them know what what books are coming out. Of course, we do reorders I, every weekend. It's fun to see what what sold, what didn't sell. I also uh, conduct book clubs in the store and we do reading preview events that's been a, a huge fun thing to do where Allison and I will talk about all the books coming out you know this spring we did it i guess 2 weeks ago and had 150 people join in and they're from all over the country it's it's just kind of fun we're also just about to launch a subscription service so trying to find the perfect book for each month for Fabled and I network with other booksellers around the country. You know, that's another wonderful thing about independent bookstores is we all want each other to succeed. We're we're all rooting each other on because when one of us does well, we're all doing well. So we, we spend a lot of time giving and getting great ideas. Another thing I do is free appointments. anyone who wants to just walk the store with me. So you can look on Fabled's website and our children's book buyer, who is phenomenal, has a master's degree in children's literature, and me will sign up for a time for an appointment and we can meet at the store and just walk around. And you can tell me specifically what books you really love. And I can find books that you've never heard of before that you just can't believe you've lived without. That's the coolest thing. What a
0: great idea. Okay, so when I head your way to get to see Fabled in person, that's what I'm signing up for.
1: Whoa, absolutely. I love to talk to people about books and meeting new people. And, you know, I got that idea. I'm, I'm friends with Stephanie Crow, who was a bookseller in Fairhope, Alabama, Page and Palette, And uh, anytime I would go to the beach, I would let, I would let her know and we would just walk the shelves together. And it was one of my favorite things to do. So I, that's one of my truly favorite things to do at the store. So please sign up.
0: Come meet me. We'll talk books. <laughs> I can't wait. I know. I'm like, okay, now I'm going to have to just make a trip to Waco. <laughs> I'm not going to wait till I'm heading through there. I'm just going to find a time to come visit. When you were talking earlier about sharing ideas between booksellers, I do think that that is such a fabulous way to learn about new things. And every store does operate differently, but you can incorporate neat ideas in your store and then, you know, vice versa for them. And I think that's really happened in the last year with people moving online so much and trying to figure out how to hold these events and what appeals to people and reaching more people and all of it. I just think it's very nice that it's so collaborative.
1: I agree. I agree. It's a, it's a great place to be, a
0: bookstore. It is a great place to be. <laughs> well, so back on the ordering. So you find a book you love and you're like, okay, we can sell 30 of it but do you have a minimum? So say you have kind of those standard books, maybe the next in a series or just, you know, an author that sells well, but maybe it isn't your very favorite book, but you liked it. Do you have like, we're going to get four of every book we bring in, or does it truly vary by every single title?
1: Oh, it, it is so varied. Wow. Very varied. And it's just sort of, a lot of it's just more art than science. We just have a good feeling about it. Or there may be a book where we think, I don't know. Um, let's get one of it. And if it sells immediately, I'm like, okay, I'll reorder three and let's see what happens. And then those three, they sell. Like, okay, well, I'll just order six. <laughs> right. Sure. Or one of them, I'll, I'll get three. that, And it seems like it's a, a good book and they never sell. And so then with one of them sells, I'm like, you know what, we're just going to let this one go off and into the pasture, you know? Um, Yeah. Otherwise we'll, we'll just, we'll part amicably. (laughs) Yeah. So, and I, again, I feel like we are getting a lot better at figuring out what, what sells well and the beauty of independent bookstores are they're not the same. You, you go to one in uh, Seattle or New York and they're different from what we have in Waco. Not all different, but different enough we kind of joke. C. S. Lewis and Tolkien are our patron saints. You would think everyone in Waco has every single copy of every C. S. Lewis book, and they still want more. <laughs> <laughs> well, we will continue to provide them. So that's. I just. I've just enjoyed that process of learning and 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 just experimenting. But no, there's another thing, and of course, one of these days I'm going to go to, to Murder by the Book and talk to somebody there about mysteries. You know, it's hard when there's when you when you open up Fabled and you're on mystery number 32 of a certain series. You're like, well, what do you do in that that circumstance? So many mystery and thriller books are very long series, and we don't want to carry all 32.
0: <laughs> yes, you do not.
1: <laughs> no, the mis- mysteries are, are a little iffy. That's, that's a, a, kind of a difficult challenge, I, I would say. But yeah, and we're not going to get it right. My Even my publisher reps will say, you're not going to order perfectly. Don't, don't uh, you know, give yourself some grace.
0: Well, yes, and I think that that is some of the fun, probably not as much fun if you're on the business side of it, but it is the interesting aspect of it to see sometimes books that are touted so much and I read them and I'm like, And then other times, like you're saying, those diamonds in the rough. And I'm thinking, why did the publisher not advertise this one more or market it more? Because it's such a great read. It's really interesting how all of that plays out.
1: Yeah. um, One of those that comes to mind, last year, um, right during the pandemic, we were looking at a catalog and Allison, one of our owners, read Shiner by Amy Jo Burns. And she said, you know, this was really good. What do you think? And I read it and it was my, you know, my top three favorite books last year. And we sell that book like crazy, but it wasn't, you know, one that was everyone was talking about. So I I dearly love when that happens, just to to find one that that you're not going to find necessarily on the front table at
0: Barnes & Noble or, or Amazon. That's my favorite part of independent bookstores. And my friend Anne Glasgow, who just came in recently to your store, bought that one because we were talking the other day and she told me the Ford that she bought when she was in that you had recommended. And that was one of them.
1: And, and Amy Jo Burns is one of the sweetest authors. <laughs> We've become friends over social media just because I love her book so much. And I'm like, you write a good book, I'm going to sell it like crazy.
0: So... Well, do you have a favorite genre? And how much do you read? You must read a lot.
1: <laughs> I... I read. I do read a lot, and I. I think I, I've been blessed with the ability to read very quickly, and I also hone that skill because <laughs> I use it all the time. I. I don't know. I probably. I mean, I think last year I read about 120 books. So maybe, maybe that's fairly normal for a book buyer. But I also have three children and a very a very busy life. So I you know, I try to find the time to read when I can. But I also the beautiful thing about getting older is, you know, I read over 100 books every year, and that just starts to stack up when you're in your mid 40s. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's true. And if you're probably like me, I mean, I bring a book with me everywhere I go. So if I end up, you know, waiting with my parents at the doctor, I can sit there and read for 10 minutes. Or if I'm stuck between the grocery store and something else, you know, I just always have a book with me.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm the same way. I, I laugh. When I was a little girl, I used to to um, lay in, in the bathtub, and I would just read my <laughs> Suave shampoo. You know all the, the instructions. I, I've I've been a reader my entire life, and you know, Lord willing, I will read for the rest of my life. It's it's just who I am. It's such a huge part of me. And So to be able to to turn that into a job that I dearly
0: love is I, I'm still just having to pinch myself. That's what I say every day. The fact that I'm able to just do something related to my very favorite passion all the time is just a true gift. That's right. Well, what about favorite genre?
1: Okay, I I've narrowed my my favorite genres down as much as I can. Probably number one is a good literary mystery. You know, I'm not talking popcorn thriller. I mean these are British mysteries or are, are dark atmospheric mystery, slow burn. I love a good literary mystery. Uh, Historical fiction, I mean, that's just been my go-to my whole life. I've always loved historical fiction. Narrative nonfiction, you give me a good disaster story, I'm all over it. I love nonfiction. I do too. Not maybe current events so much as just interesting things that have happened in the past. I love curmudgeon literature. (laughs)
0: <laughs> That's There's a great a, way to phrase it.
1: Grumpy old people, uh, I'm here for it. You know, I, my other job, I'm a, I am a speech pathologist and I work with dementia patients and Parkinson's and, you know, these people who are so kind of cast aside in society have lived these rich, phenomenal lives that nobody knows about. And when I read books that kind of celebrate that, I love it. You know, Thursday Murder Club, A Man Called Uva, Story of Arthur True Love. I just dearly love curmudgeon literature. Me too. Books about hope and redemption. I, I love hope. I love people who've kind of gone through so much and come out better on the other side. Those those I love. I. It's more maybe I, I'm not a big science fiction slash fantasy slash magical realism or romance. You know, if it's a pastel cover with... Two cartoon people in the front. Um, there are people who love that genre, and I think that's wonderful. It's just not
0: really for me. I laugh so hard because literally, you sound like me. Everything you just said, we like the same type of books. And when I look at your Instagram, I'm like, oh, yes, I love that book because you pretty much labeled everything. The only one thing I would throw in would be mysteries because working at Mirror by the Book, you know, I've always loved crime fiction. So I read a lot of that too, but I read everything else you just described, and I'm not really a romance reader either.
1: Well, I do. And I love true crime in fact, very gritty, even violent books don't really bother me. And I have to be very careful when I'm reading books and think, okay, is this a book I can recommend? Who can I recommend this to? And yeah, I, I love crime. I think uh, police procedurals, oh my gosh, Long Bright River, books like that, uh, yeah. give it to me all the time. But I, I guess it's just more of the, the formulaic thrillers. are They're sort of wearing me out a little bit right now. I read too many of them.
0: Oh, absolutely, and I don't like like the domestic thrillers and all of those. They're mm-hmm. definitely not on my list at all because I do feel like they're very formulaic or so unrealistic that you're like, okay, I can't even really comprehend this because I know it could never ever happen. But I do like a well written thriller, or you know, some of them that are a little bit different. Like I love the Sanatorium, and I like Shiver, but I don't do as well with like the crazy woman and the, mm-hmm. the three wives and, you know, all of that is just sort of outside my realm.
1: Unreliable women who are right. drinking too much. Uh, yes. I don't know. I'm, and I think, you know, another thing I, I've noticed, maybe you two, I, I don't know, it's the, this is the next Gone Girl or the <laughs> next, what I'm noticing now is the next Daisy Jones and the Six. I'm like, you know, maybe we just need to be really happy with the one that we
0: have. <laughs> right. Where the Crawdads Sing. I mean, that's the one where every time I turn around and, I, and I'll and like a lot of these books, but they don't remind me of Where the Crawdads Sing at all, mm-hmm. you know, and, and the covers are trying to kind of copy that cover. And I, I agree with you. That's actually been a pet peeve of mine for a very long time because, I mean, you really don't want your book compared to another book. You want your book to be your book. And you're right. I mean, Daisy Jones and the Six was one of my favorite stories, but I don't want to read six more that are just like it. Right.
1: And it almost devalues the original book because I'm like, oh, Gone Girl. <laughs> but I, when I read it, you know, I loved that feeling of what in the world. So now, I, when I'm you know reading a book, I'm expecting the what in the world, you know, which you didn't expect it the first time. So,
0: well, that's a good point too, and I think that's actually what I don't like about some of these thrillers is because. Everybody is expecting something to happen, so the expectations ratcheted up. What's going to happen? You know, so these authors feel like they have to just create this crazy, crazy thing, and there's only so many of those you can do. And so most of the time, I'm like, what in the world? You know, every once in a while, I think one works out great. Like the Silent Patient was a great example of a surprise at the end that I was like, oh my gosh, I just mm-hmm. did not see that coming. But that just doesn't happen much.
1: No, and we have to wade through a lot of those books, right? To find the, the good ones. You know, what what are we going to what do we want to support at Fabled? And so there's there's just a whole lot of that that you have to dig through to find the
0: the gems. Absolutely. What about recent trends in the industry? Have you seen anything that is different than you know a year or so ago? I mean, you guys haven't been open for so long, but still, I think with COVID, there's probably been a lot of changes. And in addition to trends, I guess, how COVID has impacted your business.
1: Well, I think on a positive note, I, I do feel like our store is not just a a local store for Waco because we were all forced to be online and through bookstagram and, and social media. I mean, I talk to people who follow book recommendations from Canada or, you know, we, we talk and, but they, they follow Fabled. So I think in a strange way, that's been a positive with, with COVID. And we've really been able to whittle down what's really important to our store. So in a strange way, we've done just fine, you know, throughout COVID times.
0: And all the online events probably really helped you all because you can reach people everywhere where you wouldn't have really been doing that pre-COVID.
1: Right. You know, we were told people, there's a lot of people who will go to Houston and a lot of authors who will go to Dallas. And we're just sort of right there in the middle. But man, every, every author we talk to just loves to, to talk to us. So hopefully because of this, we've gained some clout in the industry that we can support large events. And we can sell a whole lot of books. Of course, also during this time has been a big change in our society. There's you know, we really want to read more diverse authors. I'm always thinking in the back of my mind when I'm reading when I'm looking through catalogs that we want to be windows and mirrors. We want everyone to find a book that looks like them in our store, but also can be a window to another world where you can gain empathy and, and learn about other cultures. So I think just the industry as a whole is really sort of focused on diverse authors and a lot of racial reconciliation books and you know i i think it's it's really fascinating to me when it boils down to it a, a bookstore is is a retail shop just like a clothing store or or anything else in a in a town but bookstores really have to mirror cur- current events and what's interesting around the country and what's what is the concern of Wake Owens? What do we need to really have front and center in our store? So, you know, I'm looking at publisher catalogs and finding books that way, but I'm also reading the newspaper and reading social media to find out what we need to have in our store to reflect current events. So
0: it's been a quite a current event year. <laughs> it really has. <laughs> I love that statement, windows and mirrors. What a beautiful way to think about it. Before we wrap up, and I'm hoping this part will take a little longer than they sometimes do because you do work at a bookstore, I would love to hear what you have read recently that you really like.
1: Okay. I have done my very best to whittle it one (laughs) to eight. Perfect. And when I, of course, again, if, if we walk the bookshelves together at Fabled, I can fill up your TBR very quickly. But these are ones that have been published this year that I have really, really loved. So the first one is The Paris Library by Janet Charles. Have you read this one? I have. Okay. Um, I dearly loved this historical fiction based on the American library in Paris during World War II. Janet Charles, the author, actually worked at the library. And you can just tell by the book how the, the amount of research she did on the librarians of, of the American library and how they bravely kept the library open During the Nazi occupation, one of the librarians there was Odile. Uh, She later married an American paratrooper and moved to Montana. So the the book has two timelines, one during the war and one in in present day, which actually I think it was maybe in the 80s or 90s. There's kind of that 80s, 90s nostalgia that I love. She's sort of a grandmother figure to her next door neighbor, Lily. And I I just dearly loved the characters. I loved how it just seems like a very smart historical fiction. Fabled actually is choosing this one for our April book club. I try to put it in as many hands as possible. This is a great one. (laughs) Okay. So that's sort of a nod to my historical fiction love. Now this is my literary mystery love, which is We Begin at the End by Chris Whittaker.
0: I cannot wait to read that. They just reached out to me and are sending me a copy, and I've been seeing it everywhere, and it just sounds phenomenal.
1: Oh my goodness! I this will be a top five of the year for me, I think. And you know, when I read it, it was just in the catalog. I and it's been fun to kind of see it slowly snowball into this thing.
0: It's definitely one of those diamonds in the rough stories, I think.
1: Yes, yes, it's the latest. Where the crawdads sing. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. There you go. <laughs>
1: But This is a slow burn mystery, heartbreaking family drama. And the main character is maybe the spunkiest, toughest teenage girl in literature. So one of the main characters is Walk. He is a broken cop in coastal California who is haunted by a tragedy from his youth. They kind of talk about that in the first chapter. And his neighbor is Duchess Day Radley. And she's a 13-year-old who is also indirectly affected by that same tragedy. It's hard not to root for Duchess. She's kind of been dealt a horrible hand in life. She takes care of her mother, who is addicted to drugs, and kind of really becomes the the default parent to her younger brother. Anyway, during the story, there is a a murder that takes place, and Duchess Day-Radley is in peril. And this little girl cusses like a sailor. If you don't like cussing, you might want to <laughs> not read the book. I just loved the story. Um, it reminded me kind of of a Jane Harper novel. I had Allison, that one of the owners, read it, and she thought it kind of read like Winter's Bone. So it's you know it's a tough read, but I just loved it. Right in my wheelhouse.
0: I keep hearing that over and over and over again. And I'm a huge fan of Jane Harper, too. I've read all four of her books. I love them. She's one of my favorites. But I just have heard this over and over again on this Chris Whitaker book. I can't wait to read it.
1: Oh, yes. You will love it. Okay, next one. This one just actually released today. And that's Raft of Stars by Andrew Graff. This is a debut novel, and I love supporting debut novelists. This one is sort of a coming-of-age novel of two little boys. Their names are Fish and Bread, and I read this several months ago. So, I'm, but they commit a crime at the beginning of the novel and just feel like they need to flee to the wilderness. So the town is just so concerned about where these boys are. There's, they're trying to find them, you know, in the wilderness, and it's very Stand By Me vibes. The character development was great. I loved this, the friendship of fish and bread. Yeah, I really, really enjoyed Wrath of Stars.
0: That's one of those books that I don't remember seeing a single thing about till like a week ago, so it must have just somehow missed me. But now I've been seeing it everywhere, and I'm like, how did I miss that one?
1: Yeah, I I don't know how this one popped up. And And, and this is another one where the author is so kind. I mean, he he has reached out to me on social media and I'm like, I, I want to support you. I'm, I'm really impressed with with what you do and it's not you know this one maybe be the one that flies under the radar, but I think it's one that men and women could both really enjoy. It kind of there was a little bit of the Peter Heller his la- latest book, The River, sort of the the Perils of being in the Wilderness that in this book too. and it was it was great.
0: I always like those stories that are in the wilderness like that.
1: me too. Okay. This one that I really loved and you have actually done a podcast on it is The Nature of Fragile Things by Susan Meisner. Oh,
0: I love her books.
1: Oh my goodness. I read this book in one day. I just sat down actually in the afternoon and started it and never, never stopped till I was finished. And so I won't elaborate too much if listeners uh, want to go back and, and listen to her interview with you. I guess that was maybe a couple of, couple of months ago, but this is Elizabeth approved, <laughs>
0: for sure. <laughs> well, good. See, that'll send people back to her episode. And have you read her book, As Bright as Heaven?
1: I have read every single thing that she has written. And it's so funny you say that because I, yes, I read Bright as Heaven right when it came out. So at the very beginning of the pandemic, when they were talking about social distancing, I thought, I know why. <laughs>
0: exactly. <laughs> That's how I felt. I've told so many people to read that book in the last year. I'm like, if you want to understand about the 1918 flu pandemic, that's the book to read. Yes. It's so good. It was one of my favorites the year it came out. I think it came out in 2018, maybe. But it was definitely one of my favorite that year.
1: Yeah, for the 100th anniversary. Right. I love, that sounds weird, but I any any book about the 1918 flu epidemic, I'm gonna I'm all over it. I did never realized that we would be living our own, <laughs>
0: know, own exactly. pandemic
1: as well. <laughs> Sadly. Okay, the next one, Infinite Country by Patricia Engel. Again, I read this one, and this is a great, you know, if, if reading own voices is very important to you, and it should be, this one is, is great. It's a very small book with a big heart. I loved the characters and felt empathy for their immigration plight. This was a family of Colombians who I wound up being separated. Half of them were in America. Half of them had to stay in Colombia. And I don't know. I loved how it was written. And, you know, I had tears in the end. I'm not typically a one who tears up in books, but this one kind of got to me. And another one, I just, I loved it when I read it. And now all of a sudden it's a, I think it was a Reese pick this, this month. I was just going to say that. I think it's a Reese pick this month. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I loved it before it became a... a a book club book, and it it is worthy of the hype. A lot of these books, well, not, some of them are not worthy of the hype. This one is. Okay, good. Okay, uh, next one, The Sunflower Sisters by Martha Hall Kelly.
0: I have that galley, but I haven't gotten to it yet, but it looks really good.
1: Yeah, you know, I, I read her first book, The Lilac Girls, and I actually did not read the second one, but she's written a trilogy of a woman named Caroline Faraday who was an American philanthropist who helped girls be released from Ravensbrück concentration camp. So that was Lilac Girls. And then her next book, and I, I, don't, I don't have I'm it. I'm trying to think. of the, Something about roses? Is it? Lost Roses. Okay. That is about Caroline's mother and what she did during World War I. And this book is, and I mean, these are real people. It's, it's kind of a stunning story, actually. Their ancestor, Georgiana Woolsey, was, uh, was a nurse during the Civil War. And the book has you know, pictures of the family in it. And you know, I love a good Civil War era historical fiction. And I, I really, really enjoyed this one. It was a great way to wrap up the trilogy and just a great historical fiction.
0: Does it stand on its own okay? Because I didn't read The Lilac Girls because it just sounded too grim. I, I don't do grim very well. Mm-hmm. And then I didn't read The Last Roses because I knew they were connected. But can this one be kind of read on its own? Yes.
1: Okay. And yeah, I did not read the second one. this That's right. You said that. Yeah. It's almost that, – that book came out right when uh, we were kind of ramping up Fabled. I just thought I don't – I didn't have time to read it. And I never went back because I'm, you know – It's hard to go back. <laughs> hard to go back. Mm-hmm. So – Anyway, yes, it absolutely stands on its own. And okay. really, in a way, it would be kind of fun to, to read the books in backward order because you read about the, the family from, from the 1800s on through the 1940s instead of the opposite. So
0: It'd be like chronological instead of the order they were written. Yes. There'll be a big debate like there is about C.S. Lewis. Which order do we read all of the Narnia books in?
1: <laughs> so you know, It stands on its own and it's a great historical fiction. All right, the next one. Um, this one is "When the Stars Go Dark" by Paula McLean.
0: I cannot wait to read this.
1: I cannot tell you how much I loved this book. And you know, I have read her uh, historical fiction, and so this was a departure. But she she wrote in the beginning of the book that she's always loved the kind of mystery thriller genre, and thought, "I wonder if I can do that." And she did, and she did a really good job. And she's actually, McLean's gotten a lot of press recently. She was the victim of childhood sexual assault. And she speaks openly about that and kind of writes a little bit about that in this book. So uh, a broken cop, a woman, leaves her life behind to find peace in the woods she loved as a child in California. And she winds up in the middle of a missing child investigation. This is set in the early 1990s. In California, which was kind of rife with missing children investigations. So the story of this little miss, the missing girl parallels the story of Polly
0: Class. Do you remember that story of Polly Class? I remember the name. Why am I blanking on what happened? Is that that she was like taken out of her home, out of her bedroom? Yes. She was had
1: a slumber party at her house and somebody came and took her. Right. Yes. It was a horrific story. I mean, I was riveted by the story. I was in college when that happened. But she kind of During this Missing Child investigation, you hear, oh, in a couple of towns over, they're looking for a little girl named Polly Class. So I I loved how they did that. Oh, that's cool. So cool. I loved how she described the scenery. I loved the plot. Loved the characters. I thought the writing was gorgeous. I mean, she's a phenomenal writer. I highly recommend this one. It was five stars.
0: I loved it. Good. Well, I'll move that one up my list, too. I'm going to be very busy reading after we talk.
1: Oh, good. Doing my job. (laughs) Right, exactly. (laughs) But yeah, I am always thinking, okay, what are are going to be the top, my top books of the year, you know, and that's for sure going to be on there.
0: I keep a running list because I try to get to 10 or 12 by the end of the year. So I keep a running list and obviously it changes as the year goes on. I mean, some Mm -hmm. stay from the very beginning and some make their way off and some make their way on, but it's kind of a good way for me to constantly be thinking, okay, like which ones really should be at the top.
1: Yeah, I I really loved it. And, you know, one of the challenges of my job is I read this book and I I really don't have a whole lot of feedback from other people. I'm like, I really hope everyone loves this book as much as I do. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, how that plays out and if people enjoy it as much as I did. Okay, last one, and this is specifically for you. Kitchen Front, did you read this one?
0: I have actually reviewed it for Book Reporter. So I... Her first book, The Chilberry Ladies Choir, mm-hmm. I think that's it, is one of my all-time favorite books. I still recommend it to people all the time, and so uh, I was very excited to see that she had this one coming out, and I really enjoyed it.
1: Oh, good. Well, I I guess I had heard you you liked Miss Graham's Cold War Cookbook, and
0: oh, I did.
1: Yes, that was a great one. So
0: such a great one, definitely that was in my top ten of last year.
1: Yeah. Oh, good. Well, that's I I kind of feel like if you, if people like that book, they would like this one too, and. I say this is a great book to give for Mother's Day for maybe your baby baby boomer mother. When I read it, I thought all my aunts and mother would love this book. So just kind of stick that in your, the back of your head for Mother's Day.
0: I loved the way she brought in all of those really old recipes that I think Nell was her name found in the basement and then the kind of things that you couldn't even find anymore and they were having to scavenge in the garden. And I just thought it was a very creative story.
1: Yeah. I, you know, I thought of it as a mixture of Downton Abbey, a Food Network show, and Steel Magnolias. Exactly. That's a
0: perfect <laughs> way to look at it. <laughs> yeah, I had to narrow it down to eight. And you're like, I'll give you the other 10 that didn't make the list. <laughs> That's funny. Well, Elizabeth, this has been so much fun. Thank you for joining me in the Thoughts from a Page podcast today.
1: Oh, thank you for having me. I always love talking books with with anybody and really have enjoyed talking books with
0: you. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. If you liked this episode, and I hope you did, please follow me on Instagram at Thoughts From a Page. Tell all of your friends about the podcast and rate it or subscribe to it wherever you listen to your podcasts. I would really appreciate it. If you're ever in or near Waco, I highly recommend stopping by Fable Bookshop and Cafe. It's just an absolutely fabulous bookstore. Thanks again, and I hope you'll tune in next time.
1: Are you tired of seeing your teen or young adult struggle on a path that clearly isn't the right fit? Is your teenager confused about which direction to take after high school? The future of work is changing rapidly, and our kids need to know all of the options available after high school so they're empowered to make the choice that is best for them. In each episode, We explore the latest trends that are shaping the opportunities of today and tomorrow. I'm your host, Betsy Jewell, and this is the High School Hamster Wheel Podcast.